so I have an, uh, a message here from Trinity Good, and I want to read it to you. Trinity, one of our young people, as most of you already know, and she's serving this summer as she did last summer up at the Springs Camp, and Springs had camp this year, and uh, a couple of weeks ago, a camper came who was infected. Uh, the COVID infection spread through a number Trinity was among them. Trinity has the COVID infection herself. She wrote me this morning, hey, Pastor Ken, I just wanted to say hi, and I hope that everyone at church is well. Everyone at camp is feeling much better today. I'm also feeling better every day, even though I can't taste or smell, but everything else is good. So I just wanted to say hi to you and to everyone else. So Trinity's watching, and it would be encouraging for her if she knew you were encouraged to hear her message today. <laughs> and for all the uh, workers, the counselors, and the campers there at the Springs. Uh, and so years ago, we had an event at our church for young people, and it was a soccer tournament, and we, we used it as an evangelistic tool to reach a lot of young people and to bring them in uh, for this event, and lots and lots of young people came. Uh, my son was competing in the soccer tournament. Other boys in the church were competing in the soccer tournament. And when the soccer tournament was over, and when the event was over that night, on the way back home, one of my boys was in the back seat, and he was just belly aching to beat the band about the ref. One of our seminary students was one of the refs, and my son disputed a call. He was really, really upset. Not long after that, I talked to one of the other men in the church, and he said, I had the same experience. My son was so upset with the calls. And I said, well, that tells us something, doesn't it? It tells us that our boys have some growing to do because the event was not for the purpose of us displaying to the other kids in the neighborhood that we could beat them in soccer. The purpose of the event was to shine the light of Christ into the hearts of those young men. And my friend and I, we looked at each other and we both agreed that our sons needed to grow. And their complaining and their grumbling really told us that they kind of didn't get the point yet. We live in a, when we live in a world where there's a lot to grumble about, there's a lot to complain about, there's a lot we don't like. And let's be honest, there's a lot that really is just wrong. And one of the things that we can do is we can get really good at complaining. We can complain verbally. We can complain with our keyboard. We can complain to people. We can basically, if we want to, we can just have a ministry of cursing the darkness. And it's possible for some Christians to consider their cursing the darkness is kind of their ministry. But it's not a ministry in the Bible. It's actually listed as a sin. Our text today is in Philippians chapter 2. And we're studying through Philippians and, and in a series we're calling Turning the Bethel Wheel. The Bethel Wheel is a diagram that we use around here to kind of illustrate how we can follow Jesus and how we can help other people follow Jesus. So when we're following Jesus or when other people are following Jesus, we like to say, the Bethel wheel is turning. What we're going to see today is there's another way to say that, and that is what we could say is when somebody's following Jesus 
or when they're helping others follow Jesus, when they're obeying even one of the commands of Christ or attempting to, the Bethel wheel is turning. Another way you could say it, and you'll see this in our text today, is the light is shining. And so we have a choice in a dark world full of things that are wrong and twisted and perverted. We can curse the darkness. We can get really good at complaining or we can be a light. Let's read Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18, our text today. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, the children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. The scriptures say that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. And likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray. Lord, today as we look into this beautiful section of your word, I pray that you would enlighten our hearts that we would be empowered to enlighten the hearts of others in a really dark and twisted and perverted time when people, uh, many, are, are far from you and many have rejected your ways and have rejected your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So you have this option when you look around and everything is dark and difficult and there's hardship and perversion and things are twisted and things are just wrong. You have the option of being really good at complaining about it or the Bible says that you have an option of being a, a beautiful contrast of shining a light. And so it says here that you may be blameless, innocent children of God in the midst of a crooked, twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. One, the, I want to tell you that the boys that I told you about in my opening illustration, both of them have grown into adulthood today. And I'm really happy and grateful to report that both of those young men have grown into a real sincere and genuine care for people who are lost. And really, that's kind of our goal today. And I think that was Paul's goal when he was writing to the Philippians. He said, you know, anybody, it's kind of like he was saying, anyone can criticize, anyone can curse, and anyone can condemn. Anyone can curse the darkness, but because you uh, are followers of Jesus, you should uh, turn uh, to be a light in the world. Uh, when I was at Moody Bible Institute, I heard Joe Stoll, who was the president at the time, mention that Mayor Daly once said to him in August, when the students return to Moody Bible Institute, it's as if the lights go on all over the city. When we served in downtown in, in Flint, Michigan, and we had the, that, that Christian ministry owned a 16-story hotel in the heart of the downtown, Flint was a city 
going through a lot of difficulty, even as it is today. And I got to know the mayors. The, the initial one was Mayor James Rutherford. And he was a little skeptical at first. Uh, Jerry Preston, who was the head of the, of the um, Flint Area Visitors and Convention Bureau. How would you like to have that job? Jerry was a good man, a, a, a businessman, not a follower of Jesus, but a decent man. And, and he initially opposed us having that building in downtown Flint. But Mayor Rutherford once said to me, after we had been there a few years, we were talking about it the other day, and we feel like your ministry is like the crown jewel of our downtown. And Jerry Preston had a similar thing to say. This is what we want. We, w we don't want to just be good at pointing out what's bad. We want to be a light in the darkness. And uh, as a matter of fact, it, a way to say this is that when the light shines, uh, the Bethel wheel turns. In other words, when people are following Jesus and they're helping others follow Jesus, another way of saying that is shine a light. This is the way Peter wrote it. You are a chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a special people. You proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. This is what we do. When I was a young man, when I was 17, I, I was privileged to pastor a little country church. I'd drive up there uh, on Sunday morning, on Sunday night, and on Wednesday night, I would come back and, uh, for a prayer meeting. And I remember one Wednesday night uh, of the year in October after the time had changed and it had gotten a little bit darker and I was running a little bit late. I came down Watkins Road toward the church. And as I was driving down that road, there's a little slight rise in the road. And I came up over that rise in the road and then suddenly I was able to see the building. When they built that little building, it's beautifully built, but they built the building before people were putting restrooms in homes and in public places. So the, 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 the church didn't have restrooms, but the church had six gorgeous, they spared no expense, the church had six beautiful colored wi glass windows, stained glass windows. And somebody had gotten to the church ahead of me that night, and they had the lights on inside. As I came up over that rise in the road, and I saw the sun had just gone down in the afterglow of the sunset. There sat that little church with those beautiful lights shining out. And it occurred to me, it made me think, how beautiful is it when followers of Jesus don't just condemn other people, don't just point out what's wrong, which we have a role, a prophetic role in doing that, but we're not just cursing the darkness. But how beautiful is it when God's people shine a light? You should be asking right now, okay, I'm in. I don't want to just condemn the darkness. I don't want to just curse the darkness, but I want to be a part of shining the light. So how can I shine the light? And the text today shows us four ways that we can do that. And these, by the way, are in your notes, and you can see them there in your notes. Four different things that you can do to shine a light. One is by working out your salvation with fear and trembling. The idea is bringing it to its, to its conclusion. We realize our salvation is a gift from God. It's not something that we earn. Our deliverance from sin is a gift from God and not something we earn. But we display that outwardly. We work that outwardly. And this is what Paul is saying. Demonstrate outwardly and in particular bring to completion what's going on in you outwardly through the power of God, working out your salvation. 
don't let salvation be something that you just verbally claim. But salvation is something that should have, that should be evident in your life by what you do. Listen, I, I want to ask you, listen to what I'm saying. How is, how is it evident in your life that you are a Jesus follower? How can people tell by looking at you that you're different from the world? There should be a beautiful contrast of light against the darkness in the world. So the first thing you would do is by working out your salvation with a sense of reverence for God, fear and trembling. And then also, if you see in verse 15, we're in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. We're blameless, we're harmless, we're children of God, we're without blemish. So this is a, these are ways of describing that you are growing in Christian, Christ-like Christian character. So how can we be a light? We can be a light by working out our salvation, outwardly demonstrating what's happening inside and bringing it to completion. We can be a light by, through the work of the Holy Spirit in us, the ongoing work, which we'll talk about in a moment, developing Christ-like character and displaying Christ-like character among others. Another way in verse 14 is do everything you do without grumbling or complaining. Now, I went to a restaurant not too long ago, maybe a year, year and a half ago, and the, and the person working in the restaurant, I didn't think did a very good job. As a matter of fact, I thought to myself, you know, if, I, if it was me, I might not, I might fire her because she's not doing a very good job. And I watched what she did, and I just was irritated by it. But I thought about it for a while, and I thought, well, a lot of times people, they do things like that because they got trouble in their life or difficulty, and I should, you know, I should probably be kind to her. And so even though it was against my grain altogether to be kind to her, I I decided I'm just going to be kind, I'm going to be loving, I'm going to be understanding, I'm going to ask her how her day went, uh, talk to her about how long she's worked there. And then I came in that restaurant over and over, and that same lady waited on me, and I thought she was a little crabby. But I would always be warm, I would always be kind, even though sometimes I didn't feel that way. One day, one of the members of our church asked to meet me at that, they asked to meet me at that restaurant. And they got there before I got there. And so when we got to the restaurant, I, uh, I saw that this lady that I'm talking about, the kind of crabby lady, was back there talking with the members of our church. And then when I walked in, they said, there he is. And she goes, oh, that's your pastor. He's such a wonderful man, <laughs> she said. And she says nice, warm things about me. And I went to my uh, table, and I sat down, and I thanked the Lord. Well, thank you, Lord, <laughs> that I wasn't hard on that lady. That, that whole story might have worked out in a different way. Of course, I kind of made myself look good there, didn't I? But I don't always do that, and I'm afraid you probably don't either. Because when we complain, hey, when we're complaining, the wheel ain't turning. When we're complaining, when we're murmuring, that's obviously not a very pleasant way for our mate, for our kids. We're not, we're not being alive to our kids. And we're certainly not being a light to the lady at the restaurant who's going through a lot of difficult things and has a lot of pressure on her and is trying to make things work. We're not going to help her. We're not going to deliver her. We're not going to enlighten her if we're complaining. And then the fourth thing is like, so work out your salvation. Be blameless and harmless, children of God without blemish. Don't complain. And verse 16 says, by holding forth or by holding fast the word of life. In a Bible, the word of life, you might immediately think, oh, that's Jesus. Actually, that's how John uses this in John chapter 1. You might say, oh, that's Jesus. It is a sense in which that's true. 
Or you might say, oh, it has words, so this is the Bible. And there certainly is a sense in which that's true. But I believe what Paul is referring to is very specifically the word of life is the message that you give people that brings them life. The word of life is the gospel. And so the gospel is the thing that we cling to or that we hold forth in the midst of a wicked, perverse generation. Listen, if the, if the generation in which we live is wicked and twisted and perverse, and we say that it's not, then we are a part of the perversion of the world that we're living in. Did you hear me? If the, if the generation we're living in is perverse, is twisted, is wicked, it's anti-God, and we don't, and we're unwilling to recognize that, we're a part of that if our thinking is that way. But on the other hand, if all we do is condemn, we're not doing what Paul said here. He said, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, make sure that you're innocent, that you're blameless, that you are children of God, that you don't complain, and that you hold fast to the word of life, which is the gospel. The word of life is the gospel. At Bethel Church, our main thing is not opposing a president we don't like or a governor we don't like or a mandate that we don't like or or some kind of an idea like that. Our main thing is what? It's the Jesus message. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because until people believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, they're going to be just like we were before we knew the Lord. They're going to be twisted and perverted in their behavior and their thinking. These are four things. Now, I know what you're thinking, and you should be thinking. And that is, okay, Pastor, you just told me four things, and I've tried to do them all my life, but I've found them very difficult. And I would say, you're right, because they are impossible. That's why it says there, listen to what it says, um, verse 12. Paul's saying, you always obeyed when I was there. When I'm not there, I want you to be accountable to God. I want you to continue to obey. And then he says, Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, very interesting phrase. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work of his good pleasure. Now this is a very useful, very hopeful, very encouraging phrase. When we come up against these four things that we're supposed to do to make our light shine, our attitude ought to be, God, these are things I want to do. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is the man I want to be, the one who doesn't complain, the one who always has a gracious word that speaks as a gift from God, the person that's obviously a child of God. That's the guy I want to be. But God, I often find that I'm not that guy. What am I going to do? And then he says, it is God who works in you, both to will and to work the things that please him. In other words, the desire and the power to do good comes from God. So salvation is a miracle gift from God and sanctification or growing in the Lord or being like the Lord also requires spiritual miracles. God has to initiate it. God has to work. It involves strenuous human effort. But that strenuous human effort is initiated by God. It's the the impulse comes from God and it's empowered by God. That's what this passage says in verse 13. You get that? If you don't get anything else, embed verse 13 in your heart, you can, God will initiate good works in you and God will empower those good works in you. That should be your desire. That should be the thing that you pray for. That should be the thing that you seek in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation 
You shine as lights in the world when you yield to the impulses of the Spirit and you yield to the power of the Holy Spirit. He miraculously empowers you. And when you do this, God does what no man can do. My daughter came home last night from her work where she does nails. And, and she, uh, this is not construction. This is like cosmetology, right? Nails. This is like fingernails. That's what I'm looking for. And she's doing fingernails for a lady who had, she had to move her appointment last week because Hope was out visiting her sister out in Oregon who's going through some personal difficulty. And, uh, and so, uh, so it was some depression, some anxiety, some very deep, difficult, personal difficulty. And so my wife, Lois, and little Hope went out there to visit her, and she had to cancel this appointment. She came back, and she reset this appointment with this lady. And the lady's pretty put together, pretty prosperous. And she comes in, and she says, why did you have to cancel the appointment? And Hope begins to tell her, well, my, tr- my sister's going through a very difficult time with anxiety, with depression. And the lady, who is very, very put together, and very, very prosperous, all of a sudden, she begins to just open her heart and begin to open up the heartaches in her own life. And a, and a loved one that she has who has the same struggle with anxiety and with depression. And Hope said it was a beautiful thing to be able to just sit there and work with this lady and have her just open her heart. I heard a pastor's wife one time say, when she shares her struggles, when she shares her failures, when she shares her family's weaknesses, she says, then other people, they open up and she can help them. She says, it's like my superpower, this pastor's wife said. One of our ladies here has had a desire to see the Bethel wheel turn, had a desire to be a light, be a testimony, to be a witness, to pray and to love and to invite and to have gospel conversation. And, and because a gospel conversation with a friend was very difficult and a friend was kind of resisting the gospel conversation, God moved on her heart in the night to write a beautiful personal letter and to personally deliver it to her friend. Her friend read the letter and cherishes that letter and said she's going to keep it and reread it. And when I heard that story, as a matter of fact, this, this woman in our church said, the Bethel wheel is turning. Yes, and the light is shining. That's what we're talking about. God can and will empower those of us who are interested in being a light by his Holy Spirit. And through his Holy Spirit, he'll give us the impulses to do his will, and he'll give us the ability to do his will, his supernatural ability. Believe that. God's word right here promises it. Now, Paul comes to the end of this text that we're considering today, and he's talking about himself. He started talking about himself and the people, and he ends talking about himself. He started saying, hey, you know, when I was there, you were obedient to God. And now I'm not there, and I want you to still be obedient to God. He's in prison, right? And at the end, then, in verse 16, or, sorry, in verse 16, he says, I want to be able to be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I'm glad and I rejoice. Now, what is Paul saying? This is really interesting. Paul is actually saying that he is following Jesus and he is helping them follow Jesus. And Paul is saying following Jesus and helping you follow Jesus is like a marathon. He says, I want to be proud that I didn't run in vain. The idea is strenuous distance running. He said, it's it's hard. It's like a marathon. He said, labor in vain. He said, it's like labor. It's like a hard job. 
It's like a very difficult task. You're going to find that when you follow Jesus and when you help others follow Jesus, it's going to be like a marathon. Times are going to be going to take, it's going to be an endurance, a challenge to your endurance. It's going to be like labor. It's going to be hard. It's going to, it's going to require some effort. And then Paul said a third thing. It's like a marathon. He said it's like labor. And he said something else that's actually kind of shocking. It, he's actually referring to martyrdom when he says it's like an offering to God. If I'm poured out as an offering to God, he's using that as, it's literally true, but he's using it in a literary way as a euphemism for martyrdom. So Paul is saying, look, if you hear that I died doing this, know that I died with joy. And he says in the last verse, and you should be joyful for me too. And so this brings us full circle. Think about what I've said today. Here's the kind of a process of what we said. The world around us is disgusting, is dark, is twisted, is perverted. We should do more than curse the darkness. We should light a light. And lighting a light would be Christian character, holding forth the gospel, grow, growing in Christ-likeness, not complaining. We can't do this under our own power, but the Bible says it's God who works in us, both to will and to work of his good pleasure. And even if it kills us, we should die with gladness on our heart because we'll have an eternal reward, the, the scriptures right here say, in the day of Christ. When Christ returns and eternity begins, we'll have something that nothing can, that can never be taken away from us, something that matters and something that lasts. Leighton Ford is Billy Graham's brother-in-law. And he's from Canada. And he was saved as a young man. And he got involved in the Youth for Christ ministry. And then he got involved in the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association and became one of the satellite evangelists. He went all around the world preaching the gospel, having amazing experiences preaching the gospel. Leighton Ford is a seasoned, beautiful Christian man. But he had a great hardship come into his life. Leighton Ford and his wife had three children, and a, a, a daughter and two sons. And one of the sons was a distance runner. His name was Sandy. And, and while Sandy, they would go and they would watch him, and he was a tall, handsome Christian young man, and they would watch him, they would go and they would watch him in these competitions. And one day, as they were watching him in the competition, he collapsed on the track, and they took him to the hospital, and they discovered that he had a heart arrhythmia. And the doctors said, this is, this is not uncommon. We can do a little surgery to correct this heart arrhythmia, and he can live a full life just like anybody else. He can even continue in distance running. And so they, when he was having that surgery, Leighton Ford and his wife went in. They were waiting, and the doctor came out. And the doctor said, I, I, I'm sorry to tell you, but Sandy did not make this operation. He died. Leighton Ford and his wife got in the car, and they drove away from the hospital. And she said to him, either there is a God or there isn't a God. Either the Bible is true or it isn't true. And she said, and I believe it's true. Leighton Ford said, after his boy Sandy died, this distance runner boy, he said, after that, he asked God, what do you want me to do with my life? And he felt like God told him, I want you to help other young people finish their race. I want you to help other young people finish their race. I want you to finish your race by helping other young people finish their race. So he dedicated the rest of his life to looking for young people 
and helping them run faithfully for God. And when he told a story on a recent podcast I listened to, you could just hear the joy in his voice. You could hear the rejoicing in his voice. You could hear the purpose in his voice. You could hear that he was giving his life for something that mattered and something that lasts. And people, listen, nothing matters and nothing lasts like seeing people follow Jesus. Nothing matters and nothing lasts like following Jesus and helping other people follow Jesus, like turning the Bethel wheel, not cursing the darkness, but by being a light. Let me pray a blessing on you. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that you have enlightened us by the power of your Holy Spirit, given us your word and your commission that we have something to do that lasts and something to do that matters here at Bethel Church. I pray that you would bring many to yourself. I pray that in these dark and difficult times when people are so overwhelmed with frustration, that you'd help us to show we're not complainers. We're people that are holding forth and holding fast the word of life. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming today.